Welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. Hey, we're piecing it all together, and that's spelled P-E-A-C-I-N-G. This morning we have a special treat. It is a rainy Monday morning, and we are sitting across the table from Alan Buck. Alan, thank you for being here today. We're really glad to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be with you guys. So why don't you uh, introduce yourself a little bit? I always try and introduce you, but I get so much wrong because I'm trying to jam in like too much information. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself so that you get like the relevant information. Yeah, man, I'm the opposite. I'd rather have someone else introduce. Oh, you want me to introduce? No, when I introduce myself, I get so much wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Alan is the pastor of Great Spirit United Methodist Church. It used to be called Wilshire Native American. No, no, it was longer. Uh, Wilshire United Methodist Native American Fellowship uh, was the name uh, for about, I guess, the last 10 years or so. Yeah, so the, you just had a naming ceremony, that's right. and that's what I wanted you to come in and partially talk about. Is I'm fascinated with the process you went through for that uh, naming so that it, it, it represented the community well, in, both in the process and in the final product. I think there's a lot to be learned about how you did that, but I also just wanted to talk about uh, urban ministry and specifically for native ministry in an urban context. So, yeah. So, Alan, you're a Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma from Oklahoma, is that right? That's right so, you're yeah. Oklahoma Cherokee. That's right. And uh, you come from there to here, is that That's right? right? Yeah. And how long ago was that? About a year and a half ago. Okay, so you're fairly new to the Portland area. That's right. Welcome yeah. to Portland. Thank you. Thank Randy, you. I think that you actually spoke at Wilshire the Sunday before Alan got here when he was driving across the country. That is true. Okay. Wow, that is yeah, true. I knew you had spoken there. Yeah. People know, uh, know you there. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. How are you finding Portland? Man, I really like it here. <laughs> really, really like it. We're enjoying it. Uh, we, we love the West. I just don't think we'll ever, we were talking before, I don't think we'll ever leave the West. But Portland's all right, man. Still really uh, learning the context, and that's part of the fun. It's all an adventure, you know. For me, it's all new here. Yeah, a little different in uh, northeastern Oklahoma. Very different. (laughs) Yeah, and you, like Randy, have a history of being a pastor in that uh, area of the country, and uh, you were actually a church planter. That's right. In, in Oklahoma. So you uh, you are deeply invested. Now, is church plan where you take a little, like a Monopoly-sized church and plant it <laughs> no, and it grows into a big church? In the West <laughs> that scares people, man. Oh. Uh, I gotta we, say, we say community development here. Community development. i got to update my vocabulary. By the way, I was teaching at a seminary back east, and I got in trouble for saying missionary. Now they're international workers. <laughs> I, had, I had no idea. But it's funny, the denomination was called Christian and Missionary Alliance. And I was like, But they didn't change the name of the denomination? No, I'm like, Missionary's our middle name. Uh-huh. And they didn't yeah. like that very much. So. Oh, boy. Whatevs. Yeah, I don't know about how to introduce myself. Yeah, Cherokee from Oklahoma. You're right. I've been in ministry with the Methodist Church for, I don't know, 20 years or so. I served churches in Atlanta while I was in seminary and uh, then served three churches in Oklahoma. One in a room. My first appointment after living in Atlanta was in a very small town called Drummond, just outside of Enid, and um, served there for about four years. And then I served a church in Cherokee Nation in Locust Grove at the First United Methodist Church for five years. That was while I was working on the doctoral stuff in uh, community development. I didn't know I'd become a church planter, if that's what you want to call it. But the focus was on congregational and community development. Yeah, and then they asked me to plant a church, so I moved to Edmond and uh, started a new faith community there called Summit. That became a new birth uh, combined with another church called Quail Springs. And, uh, yeah, then I came here. You I did that for seven years. That was a long a long run to plant a in Edmonds, which is a uh, suburb of Oklahoma City. That's right. Or the city, as we say. Yeah. Uh, did you run into Garth Brooks over there at all? No, no. Okay. But, uh, from yeah, that area. There were a lot of people that liked his music. Yeah. Randy knows all of the questions to ask that I don't know. So this is a very... I have questions, too. Well, I mean, that's what I come with. You guys are the teachers. I, wanna, I, have my, I have so many questions for Randy about the stuff that I have heard and read. Uh, well, we, we just talk about Oklahoma here for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Oklahoma, you have to realize that most people have no conception of what Oklahoma is who are out here. 
Um, and, and Oklahoma is actually two states. It's eastern Oklahoma and it's western Oklahoma. And there's two different places, two different cultures, two different climates. Um, so, uh, yeah, and when you're talking about Oklahoma, you got to be more specific sometimes. But huh. Yeah, so anyway, all that Oki culture. and huh. uh, That's local knowledge. And then there's an Indian Oki culture. and there's But there's 39 tribes who are in Oklahoma. Wow. 39 federally recognized tribes. Yeah. There's actually more than 39, but um, who were moved there because that's yeah. Indian territory. That's where they wanted to move everybody to under the uh, uh, Indian Act of uh, 1830s. That's probably enough Okie talk for our listeners, and we'll move on. So. <laughs> Unless our listeners are in Oklahoma, and then they're probably like, keep going, keep oh, going. Oh, yeah, that's right. We are not just local, right? right? Oh, yeah. Podcast. It's kind of like a radio show then, right? It is a little. Oh, right. I'm starting to get it now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If anybody wants to speak Okie, you know. Y'all call me. <laughs> Send me an email, you know. And uh, you've been back a couple times even since you've been here. Yeah, right. So that has to be sort of an interesting thing. I mean, you didn't make a clean break. You still have family there, and, and you've gone back several times. Has it been – what's that been like, uh, going back? It's been really good. It's also been affirming, you know, that going back – it has, ties in so much with my identity in that mm-hmm. – discerning and trying to follow the spirit that going back there you know uh well being there that was affirming for me coming here but then you kind of don't know what you're missing until you go back so i've made a few trips back uh um and back to Tahlequah and back to hang out with uh my people and um yeah it's been really affirming for what i feel called to do here mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit about this process you went through. You know, Alan and I were appointed at the same time. I was appointed in southwest of Portland, and he's over in southeast. Northeast. Northeast, sorry. And um, we have gone through entirely different processes. You know, I have a very white context, and so I came in in June with a plan so that when I was appointed in July, I could hit the ground running I did instantly, uh, like a renovation, right? I changed the worship style, all that stuff, right? Right. He went through the exact opposite process. He came in, he listened, he sat with people. He didn't, you didn't even put out a vision for like a year, right? Yeah, we just listened and talked about values and prayed and tried to discern what we wanted to become. And then really the naming was the beginning of setting loose a whole other thing. So it wasn't. You know, with the naming, we were really asking permission from the Native people that we want to serve to be and become Great Spirit. And the elders were the ones that rolled out and said yes to that. You know, I don't know what we would have done if they said no. I guess we just wouldn't do it. But they said yes uh, in a big way, you know. And, uh, wow, this has turned loose a whole other thing. So it's interesting you bring that difference up, right? So um, it's a very difference in culture, right? Western worldview yep. as opposed to an indigenous worldview. Yep. So Western worldview says, you know, we're going to get in, we're going to get the job done, mm-hmm. we're going to roll it out um, because we can be in charge wherever we go. Mm-hmm. An Indian disposition is I have to go in, I have to ask permissions to be here. Right. So it's a very, very different way of, of being. I, Alan is one of my favorite conversation partners. I love, he, he has a bison coffee shop shirt on today. He's representing. Uh, when I drive up, uh, drove up and we went to a bison coffee shop and we sat there and talked about the differences between our processes. And I just learned, I learned so much by listening uh, to him and the wisdom that he brings and just the, the heart that Thank he you. brings. And so that's why one of the reasons I want to have him on is I wanted to get the two of you in a room and just talk about some of these things. So uh, the part of the story that I find really fascinating is that Great Spirit was actually not the kind of the first choice. Right, right. You were actually ready to unveil something else, felt a check in your spirit, if I can use that language, checked back in with your community, and then went a completely different direction. Can you walk us through some of that? I find this story fascinating. I think Randy will get a kick out of this and maybe be able to help me kind of process this a little a little bit more. So as we were discerning, you know, the name wasn't the first thing. The values really were. The name was maybe a three-month conversation. The rest of it was about, you know, what's the soul of it, you know, what are we... So I know that's what your doctoral stuff was on, and we could talk some about that. But the... the so... It was obvious we were becoming new or that the identity was emerging and that we needed to just take a, take a next step as a 
celebration and that ceremony of asking uh, to become was critically important. So on our way there, we had a whole checklist of all the things we needed to do with the facility and just all kinds of stuff. Uh, but the name, uh, we had two names that emerged. Uh, one was Great Fire. Oh, no, sorry, sorry. One was One Fire. Sometimes we were saying One Fire Portland. The other one was Great Spirit. So we put Great Spirit on hold because there's a group here called Good Spirit. Uh, and one of their elders, uh, Chuck Hunt, has been in ministry here for 30 years. Uh, and, uh, um, yeah, their group is not a church group. They don't want to be a church group, but they are a, a kind of a collective of these small groups. And then they get together and have fellowship. And he comes and speaks at Wilshire, too. And, and we share some of the same people. In fact, one of our elders helped them come up with the name uh, Good Spirit a long time ago. And, yeah, I didn't want to step on their toes, so I put Great Spirit on hold and started to go down the road with one fire and went down it kind of far. I mean, uh, we bought the domain names and had done other mm-hmm. stuff. We were starting to tell people about it. We had a big uh, family camp out at the coast together. There were like 60 people there where I really talked about the name, you know, the fire. And I just thought Native people will get this, you know, that it's the that sacred center, that movable center that we can take and it's warmth and light and uh native people use fire to literally shape this continent you know at one time they controlled all of that and uh i just thought people would get it what i found was as i shared that with especially the elders i'd get these questions back you know questions just like tell me more about what you mean by that it required a little bit of an explanation which i didn't want you know, the name Wilshire United Methodist Native American Fellowship doesn't say anything like to the neighborhood. They don't know what that is. The native people, you know, limits us to a neighborhood. And it was good for a while, but we had to take that next step into our identity. And so the native people asking questions about, if I could explain it to them, they would get on board pretty much. You know, if I could say, no, you know, let me tell you a little bit more about it, then they would usually get on board. But the fact that they were asking that's really what I heard. So I started asking questions back into that. Uh, and what I got back were things like, you know, fire's not so good right now. There were all these fires, you know, burning out in the gorge and in California and all over. It was impacting the Pacific Northwest tribal people that were trying to serve. And they were like, it just doesn't, I'm not feeling it, you know, the, the fire thing. And uh, um, what I realized was, this is a Cherokee thing. I'm being way yeah. too Cherokee yeah. uh, with, uh, and, and um, so I learned something. I learned something by listening to uh, the local elders, and uh, so then I just called the Good Spirit people and called a few of those elders on the telephone and said, you know, tell me more about that. And then on the next phone call was, we can't call it uh, one fire. We have to call it something else and uh did it we went with good great spirit yeah anybody suggest a real ending name like gooder spirit (laughs) (laughs) not yet yet. to use a uh indian vernacular (laughs) no uh no but it was a it was an interesting process to be in and to have all the moving parts and to really try to practice deep listening and what i've been taught it you know, democratic listening and uh, yeah. really deferring to the elders more. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to generalize about the two different approaches too much because there's a mix in there. But sure. if I were to generalize and put them out there, I would say there is one way of kind of showing up and saying, this is what we are and this is what we're going to become. And a visionary can do that. That can be done in a good way still. If the person has been listening for a long time before they start that or the institution, but it can also be done in a real bad way, you know, in ways that have impacted, uh, especially native people, they don't experience that very well. You know, it's not that I didn't change some things when I showed up. I just didn't make all the changes that I thought I saw needed to be made and wanted to take the time to, uh, really shift the culture there. Yeah. To think about people that weren't there and how we could serve Native people in this area more. And uh, I needed everybody on board. 
Yeah. You know, I needed everybody on board, and I knew that we were going to be asking the elders, not just elders at Great Spirit, but elders connected to local tribes and people out at other, you know, places I've been around. We so, had to have them. What I hear you describe is not not just listening, but listening to people's hearts. Yeah, it is a yeah, a heart listening, not yeah. just an intellectual kind of a yeah. listening. But and then that changed your heart. Because you came in like we all do with a little ethnocentrism, right? Well, Cherokee fires middle. That's that defines everything, right? right? The fires the center. Uh, yeah, but uh, not not necessarily out here. So, yeah, um, I heard a um, interview with Dan Rather one time was interviewing this um, old Albanian nun. Her name is Mother Teresa, mm-hmm. and uh, he said, uh, you know, Mother Teresa, what do you say uh, when you pray? And she said, I listen. And he said, well, then what does God say? And she said, he listens. So that listening will get you a long way, I think, yeah, in the mm. native community, but, but probably not just isolated to the native community, right? Mm. Tell me what you think about this. Uh, one of the ways I processed it was I, I thought, well, the people around here, and there's a bunch of Cherokee here, by the way. But mm-hmm. There's all kinds of people here. It's an incredible setting. We should talk about you know, the mix. of. But generalizing about the tribes here, I just was like, these are not fire people, man. These are water people. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. And I know water is central to everyone and to Cherokee as well. But uh, the people here are just not fire people. Yeah, they're river people. Okay, well, that's... uh, Isn't that a cool story? I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, that's... uh, If you don't have the permission of the community, you just don't have permission. So So he's out, he's at this retreat. They're sitting around a fire to unveil this theme of one fire, right? It's all set up, it's perfect, it's the setting and the, the, you know, the the visual and the collective, and he feels this check in his spirit. And I just, I love that at that moment he pulls back and says, something's not right. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it was easy, but believe me, I was pushing and pushing and pushing while listening. I mean, I Mm -hmm. was really trying. I thought that was the way that we were, I was going that way. I was all in going that way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, there was a a moment. Alan, can you talk to us a little bit about some of these opportunities that you have gotten? You, you're, you'll tell me stories from time to time about like a, uh, a group that works with youth to try and uh, I can't remember the name of it. They invited you to be on the board. Um, that works with youth. Well, there's a big Native American group here called uh, Native American Youth Association, NAYA. Um and I wasn't invited to be on their board, but I was invited to do their leadership program, which is about a nine-month program. They call it a lead program. They just started another cohort of that group. So that was a really cool thing to uh, be involved in. Now, I was invited to be on the Jim Pepper Native Arts Council <clears throat> board, and I've connected with quite a few different groups uh, here. I've, I've found a bunch of them. A lot of them have the... The NA and their acronym, it gets kind of confusing, but uh, some of them don't. Uh, Piney Waz Elders Group, there's a Wisdom of the Elders Group, there's a NARA, which is the Native American Rehabilitation Group, there's all kinds of uh, places, and you're right, I, I do feel like the doors were just wide open for Native leaders. I think it reveals a, a kind of a, a need for Native leaders. The I've been treated differently I mean, I've always been a, a leader, but the context reveals something different, being identified as a Native American leader. Because you might not even know I was Native American unless you knew me. And the churches that I was serving before, even the one in Locust Grove, were not specifically identified as Native American fellowships or focused in that way or bringing together the uh, cultures in that way. Uh, and, yeah, so this is different. Like, um, let's see. I've been invited to speak at uh, conferences around environmental issues so far. The next one coming up for me is at the Multnomah Athletic Club on uh, November. I wrote it down somewhere. Uh, it's coming up uh, pretty quick. November 8th, Multnomah Athletic Club. They've invited me to speak about the Trail of Tears. Okay. And so uh, Randy could be a huge help uh, 
there, but they know that I'm Cherokee. They know that John Ross was my grandfather, uh, and they want to talk about that. And so, um, yeah, I get all these invitations. It's so cool. The hospitality and as the doors are wide open with opportunity. In fact, I've had to learn to say no a lot more to find any kind of balance. He's the first Native American pastor of this place, and he arrives in Portland, and he immediately starts getting these invitations. And it exposed just how deep the longing was for, I mean, he has stepped into an, an amazing opportunity and at a time when people are really looking for different voices yeah. uh, to contribute a, a different perspective. And so I'm just so uh, impressed with the invitations that you get. Now, now I've just got to, if I can just live into that, you know, I need help with people like you and those elders and other people to help me because, uh, yeah, man, I'm out kind of on that edge where you guys like to be. Uh, theologically, I feel like I'm out on the edge, but also just my own identity is kind of pushed out to this place where I have to stay receptive and listening and learning mm-hmm. uh, and seek out opportunities to um, be around and just soak up that. So that's an important part of my formation and practice. Alan, one of the things I wanted to talk about is just the the unique opportunity to connect with uh, natives in, a, in an urban setting. That it's, I mean, for you, having moved from Georgia to Oklahoma and now the Pacific Northwest, um, very different tribal identity for urban native folks and and sort of a pan-Indian identity. I just wanted to ask you about what you're learning as you go or what any insights you've picked up. You know, Randy can probably help me with this, but what I've learned about this context here in uh, Portland and around this area, natives are, I've heard, between 50 and 70,000 people, some 2% of the population. uh, I'm rounding up or down, you know, kind of in that neighborhood uh, uh, people. But that represents like... 350 tribes, 350 different tribes of, of people. And uh, and then, of course, you still have the local tribes, and there are people from here that are here and also urban, so maybe a little bit of a different connection uh, still to their tribes, but for the most part. And, you know, when I felt this was when, was when I went home this last time. Uh, every year the Cherokee have a big holiday, you know, and uh, I try to make it back because my families will have family reunions, several of them, and then there's art shows and all that stuff. And, but it gives me a chance to go to our stomp ground, too, and uh, anyway, to really be with my people. So I never, even when I lived in Oklahoma, I was a city boy. I didn't live in Tahlequah. I didn't live with our people. You might even say, you know, there was a certain disconnect anyway, uh, but I was still there. But now that I live here, when I went back this last time, I really felt it like, uh, oh, wow, I'm not, you know, I'm an urban Indian. I'm not connected here. I'm, now I'm that guy that just comes back, you know, once a year for uh, a visit, and there's a disconnect. I've found an at-large group here that's very active, and I am part of their board uh, <laughs> now. And Randy's come to speak there, the Mount Hood Cherokee. And so there's like 4,200 Cherokees in Oregon or something. That's bigger than some of the tribes here. So there's a tremendous... So you can find it, you can find it, but it's not the same as going back. And and so I think that's a common experience for urban native people. And, the, you know, the Indian Act, uh, well, not the Indian Act, the Relocate, Indian Relocation Act, um, the night, it was in the 50s, I don't remember exactly when, but that basically paid Indians to move off the reservation. It was, a, it was an assimilation tool um, to move to cities like Portland, right? So you can imagine that some moved in the 50s. So now you've got like three generations of families who are Portland natives mm-hmm. in the city of Portland. So they're urban natives. And, and those folks um, come from all different tribes, and they become sort of almost like a separate tribe themselves because they can't go back for things often or whatever. And, but they've relocated, and all they know is sort of pan-Indian mm. life, right? So they don't know their own tribal cultures and things like that necessarily. And so, uh, or they, they bring that, and that makes the richness of the sort of pan-Indian movement. Mm. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's a very different experience than, like, say, living in northeast Oklahoma um, or western Oklahoma or something like that. Yeah, so we share some of those things, uh, and... 
have to build community around those uh, common needs. You know, Native people, uh, they do have some things in common that transcend their uh, tribal identity, like uh, intergenerational trauma. And uh, I think that they share some common core values. I know Randy uh, has done a lot of research in that, uh, too. I find that. But I find my own identity impacted in these ways like uh, uh, the smudging and smoking here. They use different medicines. Uh, I mean, they're the same, but they use them uh, somewhat differently. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the, oh, one of the other things. Is, well, things happened to me like this last Sunday, uh, Haida elder leader here in this area uh, his wife made me a stole uh, with the beautiful shells on it and all that stuff and presented it to me and I didn't know that was going to happen and uh, it was just a treasured kind of time but what he said to me uh, afterwards was so you've been adopted into the Haida's now you know what are you going to do about it kind of thing <laughs> but I felt really embraced you know what I mean I felt really embraced in a, in a it's cool to be connected to other tribes mm-hmm. in a deep way if there's really relationship behind that and you can try to be of service in that and it it doesn't fill that need there's still that need to go home and I don't know that that will ever go away mm-hmm. I hope it never goes away because I uh, but it's being fed in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of uh, maybe the, uh, the the other side of that after, after you'd been doing this for another 25, 30 years. Yeah. So I've told uh, my uh, uh, Katua friends back in uh, Oklahoma and Missouri who are um, stomp dance participants and leaders and tradition keepers and things that, you know, um, although I, I have a number of our own ceremonies that I do, but... Um, it's not quite the same when you don't do them in your practice them in your own country, right? That's right. So um, I, I said, you know, uh, I think I probably make a pretty good Indian, but I don't make a good Cherokee anymore mm-hmm. because I've been around and adopted by and, and involved with so many different Native communities all over the United States that um, it's uh, it's it sort of uh, gives you a, this sort of broad sense of who the people are, right? And I think that's endemic to this urban thing that we're talking about Mm -hmm. you become a part of who they are as well you mentioned the katuas for people that don't know that's uh, one of the federally recognized tribes and generally understood as the kind of uh, traditionalists and come from the old settlers of our uh, people so that's my those are the folks that I go to when I go back uh to stomp and to hang out with my clan family and to have fellowship and but what I learned really is even when I lived there in Oklahoma because I didn't speak the language and because I wasn't there regularly because I didn't live there with them uh, there's a distance there you know I never would be uh, fully embraced even though I'm a citizen you know what I mean and the uh, and so now there's a further distance uh, physically, but I almost feel closer sometimes too. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's a strange experience. Yeah. Well, Indian identity in general is just sort of like, uh, we, I think we might mention that a couple of uh, podcasts ago. It's, 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 it's a very uh, uh, kind of slippery thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Alan, uh, when we invited you here, one of the reasons you agreed uh, to come was that you had some stuff you wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. So uh, we've t- covered the stuff that I was hoping we would talk about, so now I guess the, the floor is yours. What did you bring? Mine would open up just, uh, I hope it opens up, uh, it, it's stuff that we'll have to talk about even further because I really want to know things. Each one of them could be a podcast okay. probably. <laughs> but I'll try it. I'm really interested in Randy's work around Native Values. So I mentioned that we had done this core value work, and I know when he did his uh, dissertation stuff and did all the research that he came up with, was it 11? Uh, 10. 10, okay. Yeah. I mean, we, it might have been 11, but I made him into 10. <laughs> so, uh, we came up with four, uh, and I think there's a lot of uh, synchronicity, or I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, 
similarity. So for us, it's uh, love. That covers a lot. (laughs) That's probably the biggest one, the core, core value, you could say, overarching. And then uh, spirituality, tradition, and connection, the interconnection. So uh, I know Randy has most of those covered in his in some way. Yeah, the the things I did were uh, probably a lot more... uh, tangible in terms of how they work themselves out and so I listed all those tangible things and the first one was like spirituality is tangible so that was the first value it's a lot of symbolism a lot of the dance the singing the mm-hmm. everything is spirituality expressed in very tangible ways yeah. right and the second was that uh, harmonious worldview so that everything is um, needs to be brought into harmony so yeah and down the list um, um, uh Generosity and um, um, what's the other word that went with generosity? But hospitality, hospitality, and generosity. Yeah, as a common value. So that that these cut across all of the forty-five tribes across all of the United States and Canada that we uh, were able to uh, get to. That uh, those ten things. So they pretty well say, I think, that they're um, universal Native values from a. A scholarly point of view from an academic you're not supposed to say that right you can only say they're widespread values but I mean if you do 40, you to 45 tribes and, and elders and everything and they all say the same similar things then um, yeah. you pretty well say it's <laughs> universal so I really want to amplify that and share that practice somehow that uh, in the church not just in the local church community, but you think about how those values might shape and impact and uh, uh, redeem the church. Because uh, here's my premise: I just, from based on experience, uh, Native people have a lot of wisdom to offer, and they've been offering it forever. You know forever, mm-hmm. and it's not being listened to, not just here in North America, but all around the planet. Uh, no one is listening to those voices and those values are being squashed and it's going to be the end of us. Yeah, exactly. So those are the, that's actually the voice that we need and the values that we need to sustain ourselves uh, as a caretakers on this planet. But unfortunately, it's too often ignored. Right? So. so how could the church, could the church be one of those places where if it's intentional about that and honest and willing to have those kind of conversations amplifies things like say we just took one of the values for us the interconnectedness Uh, you hear that in some churches but not a whole whole lot and it's not amplified or made central like it is in native communities and it should be. So by that, do you mean that we see ourselves in relationship to everything and everything? Right, that we're all connected by the same spirit, not just with right. people, but the rest of the cosmos right. and right. creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that Holding that as a central value will shape the way that you live and practice. And uh, not hearing that, not making that shift, um, killing the people that are the ones championing that, yeah. uh, is really, uh, we're in trouble. Yeah, and I think um, that that's a challenge not only to Christianity, um, because Christianity, of course, sees uh, everything from a, um, a um, um, uh, anthropocentric view, like so the human beings are on top of everything else, right? So it has to do with hierarchy, which is a problem in the worldview is also a problem with Jesus, but um, Jesus didn't believe in a hierarchy or teach it or preach it. But, um, but so it, it fits into that thing, but it also challenges other people and religions. I mean, if you look at uh, those religions that believe in reincarnation, you come back where as a human being, it's the highest place. Um, you, you, if you talk about uh, evolution, what's the highest stage of evolution? Human beings. You know, I mean, you could go on and and find that that it's not just Christians who are anthropocentric; it's all these other groups as well. And with Native people, that relationship is real. Uh, it means that we are just part of this circle, part of in relationship to everything. We're not the ones ordering it; we're the ones cooperating with it. And that's a whole different way of looking at life. 
It also reveals the economic, you know, problem. Part of the reason that we don't listen, I say we, you know, part of the reason that uh, we don't listen very often is because those people, our people, the native people, have always had resources and things that we wanted to take from them. We couldn't be in a relationship with them and listen to them. Uh, and so it's deeply, deeply troubling and problematic that we uh, have this extractive economy that we all are connected to and then it becomes about consumption mm -hmm. and uh, we all participate in that it's really uh, yeah I think one of the key things that we could learn if we would listen to the values that could change hearts and uh, shift the course mm. uh, so interconnectedness that's uh is that something you talk about, Bo? I try. Uh, we, you know, and I talked about process thought a couple episodes ago, and that's one of process's big things. It's one of the reasons it's a, a something of interest to me. But uh, for me, you know, the 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 web of meaning, mm -hmm. uh, how we're all uh, interconnected in it. If one node or intersection on the the larger web is damaged or pulled, it affects the re the whole fabric of the rest of reality. Mm -hmm. So I try and very so, much... And is there that respect built into each, for for each part of that web? That's the, maybe the uh, difference, That's right? probably, yeah, that's So one the, is about um, pragmatism. Yeah. And one is about values. Yes. So, well, right. they're both about, pragmatism is a value, right? Uh, I'd say that's definitely an American right. value. But... What um, works. But, yeah, it, yeah. but interconnectedness... Uh, also, from an uh, indigenous perspective, I believe, means that you assign dignity to every part of that. Mm. We call it respect, right? But yeah. you assign dignity so that 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 ant outside, you know, running around that tree has a dignity mm. in and of itself in this circle and in this way. You could call it like the spark of the divine. I don't know. I really did go down pretty far with the with the naming. <laughs> you know, you could call it, but that's in a, and it's very Methodist too, you know, the provenient grace and this idea mm -hmm. that, or that we're all made in the image of God and that yeah. we all have that. Except for I would say that everything is made in, in God's right. image, right? Right. Not right. just humans. Uh, everything is uniquely even, including humans made in the image of God. So, I, Randy, I think this is such an important distinction because, you know, for me, this is very much uh, an abstract sort of a concept. It's an idea or a philosophy. Mm -hmm. And for you, it's a value. It's a tangible thing. Yeah, and to assign um, uh, worth to every element of the web is the missing element of my abstract concept. Mm -hmm. And I learn that all the time. And, and then there's the, the false equivalency. People always come in and go, so is a flea have as much value as a, you know, it's like, it, it's like, that's that binary thing, right? It's like, yeah. well, we get stuck in this binary realizing that, no, each has afforded its own value in its own sort of uh, completeness is to fulfill what it does, mm -hmm. right? So I was taught as a Ketua that my job is supposed to be to, um, Harmonize uh, between the the uh, our good way, our harmony way, our white road, as we call it, and it has nothing to do with white people, by the way. Um, and uh, um, the uh, uh, when things get out of balance, so it's the human being's job to keep things in balance, to bring mm -hmm. them back in balance, to do ceremony, to do whatever's necessary to bring things back into balance, right? And so, um, so that's that's the role that I was made for. That's the role that human beings, according to our understanding, is are made for. Um, a flea has a different role. The mosquito has a different role. You know, a deer has a different role. A tree has a different role. And so, each gets respect for their for what they do. Yeah, yeah. That's, I'm, it's really um, profound to think about what shift would have to happen in me or sort of my group in order to say the thing that you just said. That would have to be a profound change in both mentality and in mental frameworks, understandings, and then in practice. I mean, it's a, a triple-layer conversion. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think if you just keep hanging around with Indians, Bo, it may help. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I love it that it's uh, challenging, though, uh, 
for the church, it should be. For this nation, yeah. uh, it should be. For all of us, uh, it should be. Kind of in your face. Uh, and wake up, you know. Wake up, everybody. Mm. So. Well, I don't want to... Um, let me start over. You don't have anything else? We can wrap up? I mean, uh, I wrote down a few other things if you're interested in talking about them. But, uh, Go ahead, because yeah. we can put uh, them in wherever yeah. we want. Yeah. I don't know what to make of this. I've been re- I need to study on this a little bit more. But one of the things that I learned about John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, you know, uh, um, he first was a missionary to Georgia, to the Indians, right? And he failed oh, miserably for, yeah. for a lot of reasons. I would love to know more about uh, that time period because, you know, as the as that story goes, uh, that's when he got back on the boat and met the Moravians, and his heart was strangely warm. So I think there's something about John Wesley's conversion that could also, you know, maybe he did learn something, or he was broke enough by his encounter with going there thinking that he had something to give, you know, being colonial about his approach to the gospel and then just being shut down for so many failing essentially to do that and then just being opened up to listening in a new way that's that's right. how the heart his heart was strangely warmed and all of that began i think right the the methodists the wesleyans can thank native americans for creating a disequilibrium in john wesley to the point where he was open to have his heart strangely warmed um, i agree so he and one of the interviews that uh, that uh, he did uh, was with three Chickasaw chiefs. And in that interview, uh, he's talking to them and uh, having them explain who God is to them. And, um, and and then he mentions that the Christian God is three in one. And they say, well, so is ours. And he says, oh, you mean like angels? And they said, no, no, we know what they, they are. They've helped us before, you know, messengers. and But... And then they talk about God being three and one. And John Wesley then ends the conversation. It blew his mind, right? right. And, and there were, as it turned out, there were dozens of uh, native tribes who had a sort of a what we could, you know, loosely call a Trinitarian formula. Ancient Cherokee uh, um, group is one of them, but Chickasaws and a number of other ones. Had Trinitarian sort of formulas for, for understanding who God was as community, right? So um, I think Wes, Wesley was probably a combination of what he encountered, which is what he didn't expect to encounter from the Native people, and his own sense of failure and his need to um, do the right thing and sense of perfection, you know, and all that sort of stuff. That all of those things kind of created the perfect storm to um, to uh, uh, get him ready. And then, of course, the actual storm itself, right, to the point where he could hear things in a different way. So um, thank God for the Native people. At least the Methodists need to be doing that, right? Yeah. The, the, he is, you know, if you just took that snapshot as uh, as sort of a, a picture, just a, an archive of the failure of colonial missions mm. as a starting point for true spirituality. Yeah. That would be like an amazing way to tell that story. That it's only by his participation in colonial mission and its failures and shortcomings that opened him up and exposed him to what he ultimately his heart was longing for. Yeah, and I think the institution that was created, you know, uh, uh, incredible experience, uh, still has a lot to learn. And we're still learning that same lesson. I feel privileged to have that opportunity to uh, be in a position to to do theology and to be one of the places that is trying to amplify something else. You know, I think that takes us right back to the beginning of our conversation, where it says, "What posture do you come in at?" Right? You have to come in as a learner, and you have to come in uh, humbled. Um, and and that seems to be the pattern of Jesus. Uh, teachings, and it seems to be the and who he hung out with, etc. And it seems to be the pattern even of Paul, as he had the Jewish community, who were the colonized, basically are the ones who who incorporated uh, the larger uh, dominant to Gentile Roman um, group. And so there's a pattern there that I think is very much um, in line with 
what our native way of doing things is, and that is that you have to ask for help. You have to humble yourself and ask for help in order to get help. And one of the hardest things, honestly, for white men to do is to ask a native for anything. And um, uh, I could tell a story with that if you want, but um, there's a there's an old fellow, he was a preacher, um, Robert Coffey, back in Lawton, Oklahoma, and, and uh, he pastored the Dio Baptist Church for years and years and years. And I used to go visiting, you know, every so often and just have lunch with him and talk to him. And, and he said to me one day, he said, Randy, now this guy was uh, in his late 90s, but I can't remember exactly. I think he might have been like 94, 95, maybe his mid-90s at that time. Um, blind in one eye, still drove to the basketball games on Friday night. But uh, he, uh, he said, Randy, he said, you ever notice how at a powwow when an when an Indian uh, gets a gift, they just shake the person's hand and say, thank you. He said, have you ever noticed white people, they just go overboard. They, oh, thank you so much. You know, maybe it's just like a little piece of Tupperware. But, oh, this was so kind of you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And they want to thank you three or four or five times and then send you a card afterwards, right? <laughs> so uh, he said, you know why white people do that? And I thought to myself, well, what is this old guy? He's gone through the boarding schools. You know, he was actually born in a teepee. Um, he's like lived out on the plains there in his life. What is, you know, his, and he's been a part of the, the church, the colonized church, if you will, um, for all these years. What has this 90 something year old man got to say to me? He said, You know why white people do that? And I said, Why? And he said, Because they don't want to be in debt to an Indian. I thought, Man, that rings true with him. And that's the hardest thing is, and think about the missionaries and the posture they came in. And think about our churches and the way that they go into native communities. It's the hardest thing in the world for a white person who has stolen the country, right? And caused all grief and harm all in Jesus' name to come in and go, I was wrong. I need your help. I'm here to listen. That in a in a gift economy, by lavishing thanks for the gift, they are unburdening themselves from a debt. Mm. Hmm. Wow. There's so many other things I want to talk to you guys about. Or, you know, I want to talk about being Cherokee, and I think we could do a long time on that. That I won't, you know, that we share in common and that I'm hungry for, you know, uh, learning and that kind of fellowship. But I am mostly interested in what we've been talking about, I think, which is uh, we've been given this opportunity to do theology. Not just to do, but to be, you know. Uh, and it's not just that we have to have permission from an institution, you know, to do that. Because if you're doing it, you're in there practicing. I mean, that's people's uh, lives and um, I would like for what we do to impact the greater kind of demythologizing of America, but also just on the individual level. You know, I hope it could bring some balance and healing uh, uh, and wholeness, and that hearts will be changed. I mean, it's a it's weird. Yeah. I'm a, I'm kind of here in the here in the Pacific Northwest. I'm kind of evangelical. <laughs> so weird, uh, so weird to me uh, because I was so progressive where I was before, uh-huh. just identified, and I think I still would be. But I also talking about church planting or those kind of things. I do want this work to not colonize people, but to uh, uh, transform people. And I, I feel like the spirit does that. I don't have to do it, but I want to create a community where uh, that can happen. Yeah. Well, and thank you for being here today. I appreciate you driving down from northeast uh, down here to Tigard. It has been nice to have you, and uh, we'll we'll put this out uh, later this week, and I'll look forward to the feedback that it gets because we're hoping to reach a wider audience, not whiter, wider <laughs> <laughs> audience, and, and, uh, and start a bigger conversation, and so I think this is going to be helpful. Thank you. Well, I learned a lot from you guys, and it's an inspiration. We're thinking about starting a podcast, too, and uh, we're really just rolling all this new stuff out. In a way, 
the name was so critical uh, to get to that place and be affirmed that it really just opens up a tremendous uh, amount of work and opportunity for us to live into that. You know, this church could live into that name for a lifetime now. Mm. And uh, check us out at greatspiritpdx.com. There's a lot of opportunities to get connected, but it's all just for us just coming online right now. Yeah, and so is that where people go if they want to visit and find out like when your service times are and stuff? Yeah, well, church is always at 11, uh, and you're welcome, and there's a potluck afterwards. so that part's easy, but if you want to find out what the, uh, the places to connect, you know, the crafting circle or the women's circle or the, any of the circles. The, the next one is the, I mentioned intergenerational trauma. We're, we're really starting some groups to try to help heal that. So we have enough people to start two new groups, but you might not know that unless you come around or check out the website. So we're going to try to keep it updated, but it's just, it's all new because it's just changed the name so um, all right yeah, come around to, and i brought you guys some gifts too i know no one can see it but maybe they can hear them i don't know uh, these are necklaces uh, that the hospitality folks made at the for the naming ceremony uh, thank and, you and um yeah and uh, tobacco the tobacco was uh, that at large cherokee group the, the mount hood cherokee so they made all the prayer ties uh for us and so um yeah Thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. Bo, how many times would you like to thank you? <laughs> I'm about to be over the top grateful and go on and on about how much this means. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Well, it's good Thanks that we can talk about these things and laugh. Um, you know, they're... Uh, if they're really serious, then we need to also laugh about them. Right. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. We're so grateful for uh, your support. Find us on Patreon. You can support us there. We have a Zoom chat coming up soon. Um, you can please share this on Facebook. Help other people find this and join the conversation. We would love to hear your feedback. So go ahead and post in the show notes here. You can post on the Patreon. You can post over at Squarespace on the website or on Facebook. We love hearing from you. So let us know your feedback. And uh, if we have Alan on again, let us know what we can cover then because this is going to be an ongoing conversation. And tell your friends about us. Peace out. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.